Granted, we all agree that there are certain things that Christians should not do, like sin, and there are things that Christians should do, like pray and read the Bible. But are there some things that we can do sometimes and sometimes not do them? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Tuesday, November the 1st of 2011. As always, I am your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys. I am so appreciative to have you here today. I I thank you so much for downloading this message and joining us for what's going to be our final lesson in Romans chapter 14. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, uh, if you prefer to to read the Bible while you're listening to this, turn to Romans chapter 14. We're going to cover the last four verses of that chapter today, and uh, wow, we're, we're really kind of wrapping up the whole book of Romans. Uh, there's not a whole lot of practical theology left in this book, um, and I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do next, like I said before, but uh, I know that we will be doing the book of Mark, um, which is what we're doing here at Linwood Evangelical Free Church here in Linwood, Washington. And this has been a great study, uh, something that I've really enjoyed. I always enjoy studying the Bible. I mean, who would have thunk, you know, the, the BibleStudyPodcast.org guy likes reading the Bible. <laughs> Before we get started today, I wanted to um, bring a couple things to your attention. First of all, I wanted to let you guys know that this coming Friday, this Friday, which I believe is what, the, the 4th, um, we're going to have a Q&A lesson. Uh, now, we haven't had a Q&A lesson in, um, I think it's been almost two years, almost, maybe a year and a half, uh, but I've got some really interesting questions from you guys lately. Uh, I was going to do it last week, um, and I had emailed, uh, or I had gotten some emails from you guys um, with some questions, and I had posted on Facebook, hey, you know, I'm getting some good questions, so if you have any questions, uh, send them over to me. Well, most of them didn't actually come to me until like maybe Friday evening or so. So we're going to do it this week. Uh, I've got one question on whether or not we should vote for a Mormon. Uh, one question on self-control in an abusive relationship or a potentially abusive relationship. And we've got one question uh, pertaining to the eternality of matter, uh, which should be interesting. But if you guys have any questions uh, pertaining to God, Jesus Christian living. Maybe you have a verse that you're having trouble understanding uh, or that you want um, maybe somebody's perspective on, mine. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead and send them over to me. My email address is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com or if you're on Facebook with me, uh, go ahead and send them to me on there. That's probably the easiest place to get a hold of me. And if you're not uh, connected to me, if you're not in my network on Facebook, uh, there are two Toby Logstons, and actually we're friends. Uh, and his son is named Caleb, just like my son's name is Caleb. How weird is that? But um, yeah, I'm the one that has kind of the spooky looking picture this week. I, I took it for uh, for Halloween. I dressed up like that guy who does BibleStudyPodcasts.org. <laughs> The second thing I wanted to let you guys uh, know or make make you guys aware of is the fact that I have recently updated 
our recommended reading section on the, the, the website. Uh, if you go to BibleStudyPodcast.org, over on the right-hand side, there's a section that says Recommended Reading. And I've added uh, a few books in there, um, including the one that, that I wrote for Kindle called uh, Get the Hell Out of Here, uh, talking about the ethics of hell. Uh, but I've added a few others, too. One of the you know, I haven't read a fiction book since like 1994. I mean, that was the last time I, I made it all the way through a fiction book. I normally don't like fiction, but uh, there's this book that was a free download for Kindle uh, called Imaginary Jesus, and that's on there. Highly, highly recommended. This book was fantastic. If you can get your hands on Imaginary Jesus, you will love it. You will absolutely love it. I actually cried at the end, if you can believe that. Yeah. Go figure. Anyway, let's go ahead and get uh, get started today with our lesson with a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to dive into your word today. We pray, Lord, that our lives will be transformed by it, that this would be more than just information, but that it would be transformation. God, I pray that you would just draw us into your presence right now so that we can learn more about you and how you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the 14th chapter of Romans is, in, in my opinion anyway, uh, it's one of the most valuable chapters in all of Scripture. Now, the central point of this entire chapter has basically been living by the leading of the Holy Spirit and serving God in a way that fits each individual person in a unique way. Uh, Paul could have written, you know, an additional 50 chapters detailing things that we should and should not do as followers of Jesus, but, uh, you know, this one chapter really just sums up what he could only hope to cover or start to cover in 50 additional chapters because there are myriad, myriad things that we either should or shouldn't do or things which are always, never, or sometimes permissible. Now, it's easy to figure out what's never permissible, right? I mean, things which neither please nor serve God by any stretch of the imagination, such as engaging in sexual relations outside of marriage, Uh, any type of sin. It's obvious, you know, we shouldn't be doing it. It's also pretty easy to figure out what is always permissible. For example, it's always permissible for the Christ follower to pray. It's always permissible for the follower of Jesus to be participating in the Great Commission or reading the Bible or doing discipleship or, or, you know, so on and so forth. It's figuring out what is sometimes permissible that gets tricky. Now, just to review what we've already covered thus far in the chapter, that question can basically be answered, you know, uh, what's sometimes permissible, can sometimes be answered by asking two additional questions. Number one, is the person doing what they're doing as a way of serving or pleasing God? And number two, is there good reason to think that by doing whatever it is, whatever the individual is doing, that they're causing their brothers and or sisters in the Lord to be more inclined to sin? These two questions, for the most part, these two questions will encompass and govern the ethics of the follower of Jesus. Now, we actually had a perfect example of something that might be viewed as sometimes permissible uh, earlier this week, uh, just yesterday, Halloween. Should followers of Jesus participate in Halloween sometimes? Sometimes? Always? Never? Let's apply those two questions to this question, and we'll have our answer, hopefully, which I have to warn you is not a definitive answer, because a definitive, universal, true-for-everyone answer doesn't really exist. Uh, Does the person who participates in Halloween by dressing up view their actions as a way of pleasing or serving the Lord? That's the first question. 
Now, it could be that the Christian family participates so that they can build bridges to their community, to their neighbors, which is part of the evangelism process, which is part of the Great Commission. And if that's the case, of course it's possible for the answer to this question to be yes. If a person participates in Halloween festivities by getting loaded or you know getting drunk with a bunch of friends, obviously it's better for them not to participate in Halloween at all. And secondly, the second question is, is there reason to think that by participating in Halloween, we would cause someone else to feel inclined to sin? Well, one of the concessions that we discussed in previous lessons is that anything that we do could potentially cause someone to sin, but would there be good reason to think that they would? Now, I suppose that depends on how they participate, in which case the answer would be maybe yes or maybe no. It's just one of those things where we want to make sure that we're not being legalistic, but at the same time, we're not engaging in licentiousness. Both legalism and licentiousness can trip up and tear down a fellow brother or sister in Christ. But Paul, in our previous verse, instructed us to pursue two things. You remember what they are? Number one, pursue things which make for peace between one another. And number two, pursue things which build one another up. That's what we should do. But Paul follows that up by telling us what we should not do. And so therefore he writes here in Romans chapter 14, verse 20, Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Now, time out for just a second here. I don't know if you guys can hear any of the sirens uh, that have been going on in the background. We just had about 50 cop cars, uh, police and sheriff and unmarked cars, swarm our neighborhood. Uh, Apparently, two people have been shot. Uh, I kind of took a break from recording there for a minute to uh, to walk down the street to see what the situation was because the sirens were, were so loud. And, uh, man, uh, there were cops speeding over over 50, probably over 75 miles an hour down our street, and we, we live in a 30-mile-an-hour district. Uh, man, and, and they were everywhere. Um, but apparently uh, two people in my neighborhood have been shot. So uh, after this, I'll be going down there and seeing if there's anything I can do uh, as a pastor. And I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Anyway, sorry about that. If you heard the sirens, uh, I'm just a little bit freaked out right now. Anyway, um, given our brief discussion of Halloween as an example of something that's sometimes acceptable to participate in, let's replace the word food here with Halloween, since really food and Halloween fall under the same category of things that are sometimes permissible to participate in. So trading those words, we would read, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of Halloween. All things are clean, but they are evil for the man who is offended by Halloween. Okay, so let's start by asking, what is this work of God that Paul is talking about? He says, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. What's the work of God? Well, it's the individual, right? Notice that it doesn't say your work. It doesn't say my work. It says the work of God. So the implication here is that we need to recognize that each person who follows Jesus is a unique work of God. Just like our fingerprints are unique and our eyes are individually unique, so too our personalities, our spiritual gifts, and our personal convictions are often unique. Picture a scale from 1 to 10, where 1 represents someone who has yet to receive salvation by trusting in Jesus for their salvation, and 10 would represent, well, Jesus himself. Well, maybe that scale should be from 1 to a million, but hopefully you get the point I'm trying to make here. Um, 
each individual is going to be at a different point on that scale toward Christ-likeness. And the point that Paul has been making is that we shouldn't be like lobsters in the tank that crawl over the weaker lobsters as they try to get themselves uh, out. We should be trying to help move people closer to 10. And this is, of course, primarily the Holy Spirit's role, but we do play a part in this process as well. But we don't get people closer to that 10 on the scale by causing them to slide back toward 1 through our own legalism or licentiousness. Now, what if the direction that we give someone contradicts the personal convictions that the Holy Spirit has put on that person's heart. I mean, this is delicate, dangerous stuff, but we have to love one another enough to commit ourselves to stepping aside and allow someone to be the work of God, first and foremost, rather than the work of other followers of Jesus. After all, don't we trust God to do his work on people? If not, Maybe we need to be more worried about our lack of trust in God than we are with what other people are doing. Donald Gray Barnhouse summarizes this principle by writing, quote, Everything that we do must be considered in relation to promoting our growth in Christ and to its effect on others in forwarding their growth in Christ, end quote. So Paul says, All things are clean. Everything that God has made is good, but that's only when it's in the context that God designed it for. For example, is is sex good? Yeah, but only in the context that he designed it for, which is marriage, and God designed that to consist of one man and one woman. Any sexual expression or desire or relationship outside of that context is bad. It's not good. Uh, Is marijuana good? Now, that's a tough question, isn't it? Yes, marijuana is good. God made it. It's good. But it's only good in the context that God designed it for. I would argue that smoking it is absolutely unequivocally not using it in the context that God designed it for because anything that inhibits or prevents us from being able to serve God fully and to be led by the Holy Spirit fully, which uh, being high would definitely do, it would prevent those things, that would be contrary to God's design for it. All things are clean. Paul said it this way. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. That's what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. See, the Holy Spirit is instructing us here to examine our own conscience and to stay in close contact with it because he will specifically put different convictions on each individual's conscience, depending on where they are on that scale and what the individual's personal stumbling blocks might be. And so Paul writes that all things are clean, but they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So what does it mean to give offense? It means to make somebody else stumble, somebody else sin. Paul followed that verse in 1 Corinthians up by writing, Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. And that's the same point that he's making here in his letter to the church at Rome. All of us, all of us, constantly must be mindful of what effect our actions might have on others. The central point of following Jesus is knowing that Jesus died for me to save me because he loves me, and yet I have to remember that he died for my brothers and sisters in Christ too. The fact that he loves them enough to do that must cause me to love each one of them. And if we can't put others before ourselves, honestly, 
We just don't love them. It's really as simple as that. And that's why Paul follows this up by writing in verse 21 here in Romans chapter 14. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which our brother stumbles. See, whatever action you're thinking about doing that falls under the sometimes permissible category, this sums it up. It might be okay for you personally, but will it possibly cause your brother in Christ to sin? If the answer is even maybe, I think that wisdom dictates that we refrain from it, at least while we are in their presence. Uh, A perfect example of this is the example, actually, that Paul gives, drinking wine. That's something that, uh, you know, we've kind of demonized here in American Christianity, right? But here's the thing. So long as a person's judgment isn't altered because of intoxication, in other words, so long as a person is controlled by the Holy Spirit and not by a foreign substance, we have liberty in Christ to drink wine. There are followers of Jesus who will have a glass of wine with dinner from time to time. Is that okay? Well, you know, if you're in a restaurant, there might be recovering alcoholics around you, and the sight of you drinking what was once their, you know, their favorite wine very well could cause them to stumble. In that case, it's not good. But in the privacy of one's own home, nobody will be caused to stumble by having a glass of wine with dinner. In that case, there's probably nothing necessarily wrong with doing so. It all depends on one's conscience. We have to train ourselves to think of how our actions might affect others and consider that with what is weighing on our conscience. Now, Paul continues, writing in verse 22, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Now, I actually think that translating this as the faith which you have is actually kind of a poor translation. We have to remember that the word faith is actually the same word as belief, and the Greek word often gets translated as belief. The point here is that whatever you believe, whatever the Lord has given you a personal conviction about, keep it between you and God. We don't say, it's my faith that chocolate donuts are yummy, right? I mean, in English, we'd say it's my belief that chocolate donuts are yummy. So hopefully you see the distinction because we have different beliefs, but we share the same faith. To say that we have different faiths, uh, that would just really open up a huge can of worms. So with that said, I would actually count this as a mistranslation in the NASB. But the point that Paul is bringing up here is that there will be things that you do, things that you believe are good in your conscience before the Lord, that others will not approve of. You name the behavior. I guarantee you there is someone out there who will tell you that you shouldn't be doing it if you look hard enough. Now, given the fact that there will be areas of disagreement with others, Paul's instruction here is to keep those convictions, keep your convictions between you and God. We violate that instruction when we impose our own convictions on others. We don't need to convince others to loosen up into licentiousness, and we don't need to convince them to tighten up into legalism. Why? Because they have the same liberties in Christ that you do, and we have to be careful about flaunting our liberty in the face of others who aren't at the same point on that scale from 1 to 10 that we are. A good conscience is preserved by being sensitive to others, and the liberty that I have in Jesus should be a stepping stone for people to draw closer to Jesus, closer to that 10 on the scale, rather than a stumbling block that sends them back toward one. 
Paul says that the person who doesn't condemn themselves and what they approve are happy. In other words, if you don't keep your personal convictions between you and God, as Paul has just instructed, you are headed for disappointment because flaunting your liberty or imposing your convictions don't make for peace and they don't make for the building up of one another. So how does this principle apply to the question of whether or not someone should participate in Halloween? Well, Notice I haven't told you what my conviction of it is, personally. Exactly. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm not telling you not to do it. Whether or not I participate is between me and the Lord. So Paul wraps up this discussion on this subject by writing in verse 23, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, Why would one person be condemned for eating food, or maybe even just a type of food, while another person wouldn't be? Well, it's for the same reason that one person would be condemned for participating in Halloween, while another wouldn't be. Now, that doesn't exactly clarify things, I realize, but let's look at what Paul's saying here. He's saying that anything, anything, any action or inaction, which doesn't stem from your faith in God, is sin. If you're convicted of the fact that Halloween is wrong, but you participate in it anyway, then your actions aren't stemming from that conviction, and so it's sin. If a person drinks a glass of wine at a restaurant, but they're not sure if it's something that's morally acceptable before God, then drinking a glass of wine at a restaurant is not an action that proceeds from faith. So when we violate the convictions that the Holy Spirit has laid on our heart, no matter what that morally neutral action might be, and no matter how others are convicted regarding the same matter, it's sin. It's sin. Friends, you are personally the work of God. Let him shape you. Let him grow you. Let him teach you through the convictions that he lays on your heart. But remember that he teaches us individually and walk by the grace to allow him to teach others through the same process, being sure not to interfere with another person's growth process in the Lord by giving them a message that's contrary or that contradicts their own personal convictions before the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. Lord, this passage speaks volumes into our lives as followers of your son, Jesus. And we thank you that we have this direction in your word. We thank you, Lord. And I pray that you will strengthen the convictions that each of us has individually and that you would teach us to walk by those convictions and listen to you. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to put those convictions on our heart. We pray that he will speak ever more loudly so that we can walk closer with you because we want to be like you. We want to do your work, Lord. So walk with us, grow us, and teach us according to the convictions that you put on our hearts. And help us to love our brothers and sisters in Jesus enough to pass on things that we have the liberty to do so that we don't cause them to stumble. Teach us to put others before ourselves, just like you put us before yourself when you gave yourself on the cross for us. Not that you had to, but you did it because you love us. What a marvelous example for us to follow. We love you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for blessing and preserving this message. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today. And keep growing closer to Jesus. Longing to hear me speak I am yours For you have a